Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cult Cinematic Catacombs, your monthly look at some of the more darker recesses of cult cinema. I am Roy Buckingham, and joining me is Andrew Farmer. As always, just Roy sticking it in and breaking it off as Andrew tries to figure out. I'm not sure this isn't just some big like, episode of Punked that he's decided <laughs> I'm going to be involved in every single month. Hey, this was like, your I idea. idea. I know I said, hey, I want to do this thing. And you're like, you're like, good. <laughs> I have such so, sights to show you. Yeah, right? Like, it's like the, every month it's the uh, tunnel scene from Willy Wonka in my life. That's what it is. And you know what? That's a good analogy for uh, this this episode because I, I, I've shown – okay, we're now on episode four. And let's let's recap what we've seen so far. We, we started off – with Liquid Sky, which, right. you know, is a trip and a half already. Sure, yeah. And then we moved on to um, a, 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 a great piece of forgotten 80s horror fun with The Kindred. Oh, that was a great. That was, that was, that was for me. That was my wheelhouse. If I get nothing else from this besides the <laughs> fact that my eyes have to bleed once a month, at least I got... Um, uh, uh, oh God! What's her name? Why did I just blank on her name? You know her name. Yes, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, but um, my '80s spank bank got fueled again. Yes, by... <laughs> despite her turning into a fish. Uh, but yes, you know what? I'm into what I'm into, dude. And don't don't assume don't assume my life. <laughs> so we had the fun that was the kindred last. The last episode was pure torture. With um, oh, it was the worst. It was the worst. <laughs> it really was because the Terror of Tiny Town was just a hard for a movie that was only an hour long. It was hard to get through because it just there was no entertain. As we mentioned in the last episode, no entertainment value to it whatsoever. And all the scenes where the where the little people are acting all sexual and and, and erotic. You know, even though this movie came out in the 1930s, just seeing this little person who looks like a child doing Mae West was uncomfortable. And you're you're just ready for Mr. Hansen to come and say, I have some questions I'd like to ask you. Right. Can you please sit down on the Shetland pony? Uh, <laughs> what do you have there? You got some Zimas? Okay. Uh, Twister? Yeah. Um, and, and a gun that's made for a, a full-size man that you're holding. Um uh, what were you planning on doing in this uh, saloon? <laughs> oh, beating beating a midgety whore? Oh, okay. Well, then, uh, that's okay. <laughs> so it's it's funny that we mentioned Mae West because um, May, whores. May, funny, yeah, because spe speaking of beating whores, yes, <laughs> because midgety whores are funny all the time. <laughs> May West is in this episode's movie. But she's not the main star of the movie. But there, there's... but she's also actually in it. Yeah, she's actually in it. Um, Whereas we keep referring to Mae West being in the other one, and she was not. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she was not in that movie. No, in this one, though, she is. And um, she's just one of the many infamous stories behind this episode's movie. The 1970, oh my God, why does this film even exist movie? Myra Breckenridge. Now, have you ever I, seen? I'm excited. Have you ever seen this one, Andy? No, of 
course not. <laughs> Come on. It's going to be interesting to see how this is holed up in today's political climate because this movie, when I first saw it, even then, it was not politically correct whatsoever. And this was before trans rights became as strong as they are today. But I feel like, and after, I feel like what they're, okay, so I, 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 let's, let's get, you know, let, let's cover our bases. I watched the trailer. Yeah. Um, it's effed up, super effed up. Oh, yeah. But, but, right, it, it has a, the trailer, and if I'm, if I'm taking anything, and you've, you've told me off, off mic that the trailer doesn't do the movie, the film justice. Oh, the movie does not prepare, the trailer does not prepare you for this movie at all. Okay. But that being said, right, from from what I've seen, I can kind of I, I kind of glean some some satire from what they're trying to do, where it almost is a it, I, I kind of can see the um, the Terry. Well, you know, the Terry Gilliam slash uh, trading spaces, trading places uh, esque, you know, popularity of what this movie was trying to achieve I, i'm gonna say from the trailer it did not it did not get there but mm. i kind of got an idea i think if i if i'm going on first blush i think i've got a general consensus of what i'm getting into and what they were trying to achieve well with, with myra breckenridge it originally started as a book written by gore vidal and the book that never should have been written was turned into the movie that never... That's in the trailer. Yeah. The trailer said we shouldn't have made this movie. That's what was in the trailer. I, the book is controversial enough already. I mean, this was... this. I mean, because it dealt very heavily with not only sexism in Hollywood, but it also dealt with transvestitism. Uh, right. Transvestitism and transsexual uh, people. And it... Um, Dealt with it in a way that's not very kind, actually. Uh, the, and the thing is, is, is that the movie goes full tilt boogie with it. And, I mean, the book alone is offensive enough. And you just re sit there and you're reading like, oh, my God, Gore Vidal wrote something like this. It, it's, it's like imagine Gore Vidal writing a Jackie Collins book, but it being chicks with dicks. And you got Myra Breckenridge, the book. The movie is like, okay, let's take this book and shove it in a vat of acid <laughs> and use it as toilet paper, then make the movie. The movie is just so much like Caligula grabbing his face and screaming, oh my God, what are you doing? But do you think, I, my question for you is, do you think, and, and I haven't read any interviews, I probably will attempt to between now and when we release this thing just so that the world makes sense again. But do you believe that Gore Vidal thought he was really attacking the, you know, satirically attacking the, the transgender problems? Because, you know, they, we, we all like to assume, or at least, you know, certain, certain people that, that might not have perspective, like to assume that these are new Issues that we're dealing with. Oh no, they're not at all. No, I, I honestly no, Stonewall. Uh, yeah. You know, I could I could list a million of them. But do you feel like that was this was his attempt at an attack? You know, a, a, a satirical attack on those on the people that weren't because like in the in the preview 
you like there, there's so many times that uh oh god um Raquel Welsh is asking the question like is this what it's like to be a man and um and he's like what's it mean to be a man and he's like balling chicks dude like it's like it's, it, do you know what I'm saying do you feel like that's a part of it at all I don't I don't if, if it was he failed hardcore because sure, of course he did yeah because I mean nothing about at least to me with both the book and this movie, there is nothing positive about what it has to say about the transgender community at all in both the book and the movie. Because, I mean, in the book, Myra is very manipulative. Well, she is in the movie, too. Very manipulative and very um, scheming and out for revenge and all sorts of stuff. And it's, like I said, it's amped up in the movie. The movie adaptation of Gore Vidal's novel, which was written in 1968, was so over the top that Gore Vidal actually sued 20th Century Fox to have his name removed from this movie. He did not, yeah. he did not want it to be associated with this movie. He lost, but yeah, he did not want to be associated with this movie whatsoever, and, I, and that just tells you how far the movie goes compared to the book. And we'll talk more about the, the book and the plot elements of the book in the second half of this, because, um, there are, you don't want to spoil the yeah, shit, the shit nanigans that we're <laughs> about to engage in. Right. Like, well, not only that, but there's a lot of different, I mean, there's things that are similar and there's things that are different, uh, for those who are not initiated with Meyer Breckenridge, let's give just a brief synopsis of what the movie is about. The mo- sure. Uh, the movie stars Raquel Welch, and this was like a huge gamble for her career at the time also because, um, you know, prior to this, she had starred in uh, 100 Million Years B.C. or 1 Million Years B.C. and became a huge sex icon because of that movie, because of the, the bikini, the fur bikini that she was wearing in that movie. Wasn't, 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 that was just her. It's not a bikini. <laughs> That was just what this is what she looks like, dude. That's not nice. See, that's the problem with movies like this: is they set you up, you start referring to things as it's quote unquote fur bikinis when it's just she's like, she's European. Let's give her a break. (laughs) So, I mean, she she started that, and then prior to that, she I mean, she done a lot of you know small work in Hollywood. Like she was in Roustabout with Elvis Presley, and she had been on television like Bewitched, Mikhail's Navy. Hollywood Palace, starred in a couple of other movies, but then she landed this major contract with 20th Century Fox, and her first movie with that major contract was a huge movie, um, 1966's Fantastic Voyage. Man, with- I miss I miss Hollywood contracts. Yeah. I miss Hollywood. I miss knowing that you were going to go see a 20th Century Fox movie and getting one actor because he signed a 17-picture deal. With- <laughs> I missed that. So yeah, she she was in that movie, and Fantastic Voyage was a gigantic hit. It's considered a, a cinematic classic today, and she got rave reviews for her performance. Um, Isn't Fantastic Voyage just Star, uh, Star Trek? You flip the, you flip the Enterprise and you put it in the uh, you put it in the water and you got Fantastic Voyage. Well, you put it in the human body and you got a Fantastic. Oh, Voyage. that's right. Well, what am I thinking of? I think um, I think you're thinking of Voyage to the Bottom of the Earth. I'm, I'm thinking the the great line you've seen uh, Free Enterprise, right? Yes. 
Okay, that great line from Free Enterprise where he's he's at that party and they're talking about uh, whatever, whichever uh, whichever movie it was. It's so good. It's so good. We should cover that movie because I don't think a lot of people have seen it. I don't think a lot of people have either. That's a good one. And they're missing the fuck out if they haven't seen it. <laughs> so yeah, she did one. She did one million years BC, and Bam became a superstar after that. She started in a couple of other. Films here and there, uh, like she, uh, you know, she wasn't doing as big box office wise as she was with Fantastic Voyage and One Million Years BC. Uh, she was originally supposed to star in Valley of the Dolls, but lost the role out to Patty Duke instead. Um, she then went on to star in the original version of Bedazzled, starring Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. Oh, the one that they remade with uh, movie Artur and uh, cinema icon Brendan Fraser. Yes. If, if you've never seen the original Bedazzled, you need to do yourself a favor and see it because it's an absolutely brilliant movie. Um, Raquel Welch literally plays Lust in the film. She plays the human embodiment of Lust, and, she, her, and she's hilarious in the movie. Uh, she then went on to do a more serious film called Bandolero, which was also a huge hit, starring James Stewart and Dean Martin. And so Hollywood started seeing that, you know, she could be this serious actress instead of just being Here's My Tits. And so they took a risk and cast her in Myra Breckenridge, which at the time was a very high-profile project. And not, here's my tits. Yeah, and here's <laughs> yes. my tits, yes. I mean, because not only because of it being based on this highly controversial book written by Gore Vidal. But it also marked the cinematic return of Hollywood legend Mae West. She had not made a movie in almost 30 years. Why this? Why? Why this one? Why come out of retirement? Why, why, why be <laughs> Rocky for this movie? You know what? She, it's interesting because she, prior to this movie, she had not made a movie since 1943 and she said that there was something about the script that attracted her to this. And she claims to this day that she turned down a starring role in the film adaptation of Pal Joey to do, <laughs> to do this film. And I don't know. Because, because I, I, I mean, well, she's not the worst thing about the movie, but she doesn't add to it either. Um, I mean, you've got her involved with it. And you also then have um, legendary director John Huston, right, playing Buck Loner. I have something to input in this really quickly. Oh, this is my husband, <clears throat> Chris. Hi, Chris. Hello. Um, May West was, you know, as we've already stated, has come out of retirement for this film. The follow-up for her to this movie. Which I'm sure we'll touch at some point on this show. Is just as infamous for its shit shit Shitography? Shit shit shitosity. Shitosity? Shit Yes. Yes. We'll go with shitosity. Shitosity. I love I love a good shitosity uh mushroom. Um keep going, Chris. Just when you just when you think Mae West could not hit rock bottom anymore. Came her semi-autobiographical musical that came out in 1980 called Sextet. Called I Shouldn't Have Done Myra Breckenridge. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So she tried to wash off the stink of this film with her own second follow-up movie, Sextet. Boy. 
So that tells you how bad this one is. So, Jeez. and I said my piece, amen. <laughs> and the church, and the church says amen. And the church says amen. So we have that. John Houston agreed to star in this movie, and honestly, if you've never seen any of um, John Houston's movies, I he's he's a hell of a director. I mean, he directed the Maltese Falcon. Treasure Sierra Madre, Red Badge of Courage, African Queen, Moby Dick. He's a Misfits. juggernaut. He's, he's a he is a directing juggernaut. And the fact that he agreed to star in this movie makes me go, which member of Hollywood's gay mafia did you owe a favor to <laughs> to agree to do this movie? <laughs> because but, but I think at the end of the day, the point we're missing is this wasn't going to be a mainstream film that kind of wrapped its arms around some social issues, you know, mm -hmm. and that wasn't really being done in the mainstream. No. So people saw an opportunity to do something that's a, that was a little artery, you know, a little something that would, you know, highbrow, a little high art. And everybody jumped at the chance, probably not reading the script, or at least not thinking it through. And then they got halfway through it and went, well, shit. Well, now what do I do? It's funny you say that, because the director of the movie um, is a man by the name of Michael Sarney. Um, he's a British actor, he's a writer, he's an artist, and he's kind of twisted in the head. Um, I mean, he's directed episodes of The Avengers for British television, um, he's directed a lot of movies that if you've never sat down to watch any of his movies, you're not really missing anything except, um, for, um, maybe, um, oh God, no, you're not missing anything now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> um, not, anyway, not even a little bit. Anyway, he is just, just bizarre. He's absolutely bizarre. Um, and when he read the script for Meyer Breckenridge, he all of a sudden said, you know what? This is so unique, and I have ideas. Yep. And yep. <laughs> you'll see what those ideas are when you watch the movie, Andy. And if anybody else is brave, you can actually find this movie on YouTube uh, to watch. And um, Although we own the Blu-ray. <laughs> no, we don't, actually. We got rid of it. That tells you how bad this movie is. We got rid of it. Um, but yeah, so just keep that in mind. And it was those I have an idea, I have ideas part that made Gore Vidal say I don't want anything to do with this. But I think that that's the point, right? Is like I can, this is it. This is my chance to break out of the idea that I'm a Western actor or I'm, you know, I'm just a set of tits. Yeah. And I can be, I can be a real actress. I can, I can be Silkwood. I can be, you know, and and then and, and then you get halfway through and you're like, what did I do? Especially considering the rest of the cast. I mean, this was the film debut of Farrah Fawcett, and right. she's very lucky. Her career survived this movie. I mean, she better be she better be damn lucky she went on to star in Logan's Run after this because well she dead now yeah she she's dead now. <laughs> but I, can't, I don't think we could just say I, there's so well she's dead now so all of those midgets are dead now. <laughs> so it's like she went on to star you know, she started in Logan's Run and. You know, that, that gave her some more credit, which is good because, oh, dear God, her, her role in this movie, you're, you're just like going, oh, my God, throughout the whole thing. If that wasn't enough, um, we also have the film debut of Tom Selleck, 
Um, nice. Yeah, he's got a very small part in this movie. We also have John Carradine, Jim Backus. Jim Backus is in this. Yes. Everybody's in this. Everybody jumped in a shot because they heard X, Y, and Z were in this. And it just built momentum. <laughs> um, distinctive character actor Andy Devine. I do like Andy Devine. And then if that wasn't enough, making his acting debut in this movie right. is <laughs> film critic and columnist Rex Reed. As, Not even just making his film debut. Starring in this Yes, because he's playing the pre-op version of Myra. He's playing Myron Breckenridge. And I'm going to let you know right now, you're not going to live the same way ever again after you see Rex Reed on the big screen going, my tits, where are my tits? You're, it's not, your life's not going to be the same anymore after that. So the basic story, like I was saying, is it's about... Myron Breckenridge, who has a sex change operation. I feel like this movie is what would happen if you could clone Guy Fieri four times <laughs> and then make him the cast of Queer Eye Season 3. <laughs> this is the movie that happens. Close, yeah. So, so Myron has a sex change operation and becomes Myra Breckenridge. She goes off to Hollywood... Uh, meets with her rich uncle Buck, who's played by John Houston, claiming and to and also the the inspiration for the movie Uncle Buck, starring John Candy. <laughs> God, I hope not. It's not. I just made yeah because John Houston plays this old, crusty, horny film producer. Um, she goes to work for his uh, his acting school, pretending to be Myron's widow and is demanding inheritance. But instead, she gets a job at the acting school, and when she gets a job at the acting school, wacky hilarity ensues. And what I mean by wacky hilarity, I mean controversial sexual explicitities, um, which we will get into on the second half of the episode, um, as well as like really just extreme, what the hell are you talking about, notions about what... Transgender people are supposed to say and act. Yeah, and if, that, well, I mean that was in the in the trailer too, yeah. and it's just like what? I mean, because he, he's obsessed with old Hollywood and and old Hollywood. Yeah, old Hollywood, like 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 Hollywood of the nineteen forties and everything, which is where Mae West comes into the picture. And oh, by the way, Mae West ha Mae West has a couple of musical numbers in this movie. Uh, they're all in the trailer, by the way. Yeah, yeah. All of them. The trailer is very Mae West heavy, by the way. <laughs> they're like, you're not going to want to see this, but Mae West is in it. Yeah, so please, God. Which is hilarious because she's only in the movie, I think, for like 20 minutes. She's the trailer. She's the trailer. <laughs> um, this movie is just nuts. And the thing is, is they this, the, the movie, I'll, I'll let you know right now, the movie does this thing where... Yeah, Raquel Welch is walking around as Myra, but then they have Rex Reed as Myron off around all over the place like he's, you know, in the movie. Like he's like they're trying to do some version of come back to the five and dime Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, where he's as Myron in the background trying to be the voice of reason for Myra through these scenes. Well, because five and dime was the budget. <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> from now on, hey, can we just call Chris the producer from now on? He's the producer of show. <laughs> that way he can just scream from the production booth at us while we're recording. I like it. But here's the thing, is is that... Because it's funny. <laughs> is not only was just the film itself bad, but the behind-the-scenes stories with this thing is just so... I can't wait to hear him. What the hell? I can't wait to hear him. So, I don't know why you do this to me besides to make me stronger. <laughs> I feel I feel like this is some weird version of uh, cult cinema Batman where I'm your Robin and you're just <laughs> me for the coming Joker Wars. Like, you will be strong. You will be strong by the end of this. <laughs> um, so the director um, encouraged the cast members to fight with each other and because he wanted to create the tension on the set. So he felt that the best way to create tensions between the characters on the set, since everybody's supposed to have tension with each other is to have them fight with each other. And boy, did Mae West take this to heart because Mae West couldn't stand Raquel Welch at all. She couldn't stand her because of the fact that she was younger and prettier than her. And, and her tits were real. And, <laughs> and, and her tits weren't Allegedly. sagging. <laughs> so there was, yeah, there was a lot of animosity going on there. Um, in fact, there's a famous story that came out about this where Gore Vidal, when he found out that the, 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 the director, Sarni, um, was working at a pizza restaurant in San Francisco, he said, there's proof of God's existence. <laughs> So, you know, a little sassiness from him there. Um, There was a lot of lawsuits that came out from this, not only from Gore Vidal, but from the White House, which demanded that footage from Shirley Temple's Heidi that, that was used in the film to be removed because at the time Shirley Temple was a U.S. ambassador to the United Nations and did not want That's Shirley amazing. did not want Shirley Temple associated with this movie. Um, That's also, amazing. Also, Loretta Young sued this movie and won to have footage of her removed from the movie. Um, in fact, Rex Reed said that the film this was the film where the lawsuits really flew. Um, lawsuits before and after the movie coming out. Um, on top of all that, like I said, Mae West hated Raquel Welch's guts, and you could tell in the chemistry between the two of them on the big screen. Uh, Meyer Breckenridge also uh, was one of the two movies to come out of 20th Century Fox in 1970 to receive an X rating. Uh, really? Yes, this got an X rating because of um, a scene that happens in the movie between Myron and the guy who says that chicks need to be boned. Um, yeah, the ball and chicks, man. Yeah, ball and chicks. You know, I think we should bring back balling. You can ball whoever you want, <laughs> right? I'm not saying you should you should ball one particular sex or, or you know what, what, whatever you want. But balling is a word we should bring back. We should really look at bringing back balling. This says a lot, also. That so, I want to bring back balling. Yeah, no, sure <laughs> just just to tell you about how this movie's impact is. So, as I mentioned, this was one of two movies to be released from 20th Century Fox in 1970 to have an X rating. The other one was Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Ah. Now, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls has went on to have a bigger cult success because of, one, its title, 
two, because of how it just took a truncated look at 1960s counterculture and just really knocked it for a loop, and because it was written by Roger Ebert. Well, I think that Beyond the Valley of the Dolls was the successful attempt to do what Myra Breckenridge is trying to do. Like, they were the competing, in, in terms of socially conscious satire... Well, and it was also directed by Russ Meyer, who's known for his TNA yeah. movies. But he's yeah. he, but Russ Meyer has also done some movies that have actually turned out to be really good. I mean, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, as ridiculous Piranha. as it is, is actually a great social commentary on Hollywood. Yeah. And he's also done Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, which is a phenomenal movie. If you've never seen this, you need to put that on you. That's like an essential cult film, Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. I mean, yeah, he's had his TNA movies, but he's done some great movies. Meyer Breckenridge, if you were to take Meyer Breckenridge and Beyond the Valley of the Dolls and put them on a scale, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls would be heavier because it's sure. it's because it's a more enjoyable movie and is getting and, and what Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is making fun of is more successful than what Meyer Breckenridge's satire was supposed to be. Right. Needless to say, Meyer Breckenridge was a flop. Um, as a matter of fact, Time Magazine most notoriously said, quote, Myra Breckenridge is about as funny as a child molester. <laughs> That's, wow. I think Kevin Spacey's hilarious. <laughs> That's taken it to the streets. That's what that is. <laughs> um, That's some serious stuff when I start singing like Michael McDonald. <laughs> Um, a book that came out in 1978 called The 50 Worst Films of All Time. Um, this movie is listed in there as one of the 50 worst movies of all time, and it is still considered that as well. I, the movie, because of its adult themes, never has been shown on television. Um, it was released on home video finally in 2004, and, and since then has developed a cult following because of who stars in the movie. Right. So there is, you know, some of the backstory that goes on with Myra Breckenridge. And now with that set aside, and now that we know what the basic plot Let's, of let, Do you want to spin is. up the audio from the, the trailer? I think we should. Cause it's, oh, yeah. The trailer is definitely going to be the, the in-between point for this. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's an impressive trailer, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't watched it. It's not Liquid Sky impressive, <laughs> but it's an impressive trailer. But yeah, this movie is, for right now, probably one of the most notorious movies we've ever had to touch on and one of the most controversial movies that we've touched on so far. I don't think we're going to, it's going to be a while until we touch on something more controversial than this movie was. And here it is today, uh, 2018, and this movie this movie wouldn't even go past a script reading with a CEO of the studio today because of what happens in this film. Yet, sure. because of the fact that it may, it got made and it exists, it's, it's a cult film. So maybe not for the right reasons, or maybe for the wrong reasons, who knows? It's up to us to decide. And now it's time, uh, Andy. It's uh, Wish time. me luck, ladies and gentlemen. It's, I'm going once more into the breach. <laughs> it's time for you to uh, get settled in all clockwork orange style and, pre and 
indulge in the what the fuckery of Meyer Breckenridge. We'll be back, folks. And now, ladies and gentlemen, what you've all been waiting for, the man killer. The moment of truth has finally arrived. The book that couldn't be written is now the motion picture that couldn't be made. Myra Breckenridge. I'll be right with you, boys. Get your resumes out. Memo to Flagler and Flagler attorneys. Dear Charlie. Hmm, honey, that feels real good. Hey, uh, what's your name, honey? I'm Myra Breckenridge. You have a lot to learn. All you men have a lot to learn. And I've taken it upon myself to teach you. I'm the widow of your late nephew, Myron, and I've come to collect a half a million dollars. Myron's mother said, with her dime breath, let's go to your Uncle Buck and you tell that son of a bitch that I've got a copy of the will and I want my share to go to you. You realize once you cut it off, it won't go back. Great bunch of boys here. Of course, you get the occasional weirdo, but, uh, like anywhere, but the uh, greatest bunch of kids in Hollywood. have all the kinky angles that are in right now. I mean, have you any that I don't know about? <laughs> oh, Leticia. What about studs? They don't call you the queen of the casting couch for nothing. You should all chicks, that's how. Let's just have a nice, girly evening, and I'll tell you how I lost my virginity. You tell me how you lost yours. If only you were a man. You can't tell the wolf from Little Red Riding Hood these days. Because this uh, Meyer Breckenridge is more than a match for most men. Don't miss the most sensational scene in the history of the screen. Not there. Boy or a girl? Can't tell from here. <laughs> Myra Breckenridge is a dish, and don't you ever forget it. Here I go. Everything you've heard about Myra Breckenridge is true. All right, folks, we're back. Does anybody want any cigars, <laughs> cigarettes, bananas? Oh God. Yeah, I, I think the most shocking thing about this film was that I actually enjoyed this film. <laughs> now, this this here's here's a little fun tidbit. The cigarette lady that was offering the bananas. Do you know who that was? I didn't. I don't. I don't. That is dance choreographer and extraordinaire and '80s one-hit wonder Tony Basil. Is it? It's. Hey, Mickey's Tony Basil? That was her, yes. What? Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So, so wrap your uh, also, around that. Also, fun tidbit that I don't think that, I don't know if we actually touched on in the first half. Um, all of Mae West's dialogue 
were written by Mae West. Yes, she actually strong armed. Oh my god! She she Whoa. she strong armed 20th Century Fox and the director, and allowing her to write her own dialogue. So her character's dialogue from the book is not in this movie at all. So really? she so she strong armed the director into writing her own dialogue so she could make it more Mae West centric. And How tall are you? Six foot seven. Well, let's focus on the seven inches. <laughs> No, May. And, no. And she also strong-armed them into having her two musical numbers that she has in the movie. One musical number, and then whatever that atrocity um, was. Honey, come over and give me some loving. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah, her attempt at rapping, basically. Uh, no, no, it was hard to handle. It was, and I don't know what it was. <laughs> like, I get the satire of a big musical number in a movie like this because it is it, it you know among a thousand other things a, a a critique of hollywood and you know hanging on to things that are that are of a gone by era like big musical numbers in movies so i get a weird banana song you know like like that's that's good for me i get the critique but then to go into hard to handle and i'm like why is this in here? Like, who is this for that's whose name isn't Mae West? No one. Well, no one. On a side note with that, if you've never heard her version of Twist and Shout, I highly recommend it. I don't. I don't. I can't. I can't in good time. <laughs> tell our audience to do that. Yeah, she, 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 yeah, she recorded Twist and Shout. And let me just tell you, um, yeah, it's on the same level. <laughs> yeah. I I I call this movie. At, keep in mind, I am literally ten minutes off your hit and stop on this movie. Like I am fresh out, but I'm going to refer to this movie from now on as uh, Terry Gilliam's "I Spit on Your Grave." <laughs> <laughs> because, that's, <laughs> because that's what I got from it. I liked it. Sorry. Sorry, Chris. Sorry, Roy. I enjoyed this movie. Uh, it was... I, I have theories about what it... Okay, so you and I were talking before um, before we started recording. We were talking off mic about the ending of this movie. Yes, it's a very ambiguous ending, even though it wasn't supposed to be an ambiguous ending. And the ending to this is definitely a lot different than the ending to the book. Um, so... In the ending of the movie, uh, the Myron personality of Myra Breckenridge, because he's he's haunting her throughout this whole movie, um, runs her over, which I'm trying to figure out how that happens. And when she gets run over uh, by her own personality, suddenly Myron wakes up in a hospital bed, wondering where his tits are talking to Jim Backus about the good old days of Hollywood <laughs> and then looks over at a magazine with Raquel Welch on it and is being cared by a nurse who looks like the Farrah Fawcett character in this movie. Now, it's implied that this is all a dream. See, I don't, I don't buy it. I, here's what I buy, and I'm going to tell you my, my conspiracy theory around this, is that... The, the it's all a dream happened 
So you said that, that it was so ambiguous that they had to then go in and in the release and change it to black and white. Yes, to... because the director's message that it was all a dream apparently did not come across well at all. So when they reissued the movie in the 2000s, they changed the ending from color to black and white, thinking if they wizard the Ozzed the ending, it would come across more that it was all a dream. It still didn't work. <laughs> See, I have a theory. I have a theory. My theory was that the it's all a dream ending came in after the movie started being reviewed or at least seen and they needed something to make it all a dream i for, i really believe in my heart of hearts that he was that 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 he that myra myron was dead and that was myra myron's heaven he went back he reverted back to being myron because his his mission was complete, I guess whatever his mission was. I mean, and and this was and this was his his version of the afterlife, where he wakes up as you know as as Myron with all these people around that that reflected this this thing that he did. I that's what I think because it's not the it's all a dream ending is not gung ho nuts to butts weird enough after what I saw for an hour and a half to make sense. It's it's like, a cop out it seems, ending. It, it, it seems like a back yeah, it seems like a back down. Now here's the, here's the thing is, is that if they would have went with the plot of the original book, I think it would have had a more impact because with the movie they don't make any secret of the fact that Myron turns into Myra. That I mean, we, we get the extremely weird operation in the beginning of the movie that apparently at this hospital where he's having the sex change operation, the nurses have whips. Well, um, not only that, but apparently they don't know what anesthesia is. Yes, because <laughs> yeah, the operation <laughs> happens while he's awake. Well, then again, that's what happens when um, John Carradine does surgery. It just doesn't. Just have never done this before. Apparently, that's true, John. <laughs> um, the thing is, is, the original plot to the book is we're instantly introduced to Myra. She's a film bust who has um, a special interest in Golden Age of Hollywood, which is what Myra and Myra is in this book. Um, he goes. Uh, she goes to work um, at the academy who um, her Uncle Buck owns, and she claims that she's the deceased husband of Myron, and, you know, the, the cat and mouse that happens there happens, and she gets the job and everything. Uh, we got the subplot going around with the Mae West character, which we'll get into later, um, and uh, other stuff that, that Myra does at the school we'll get into later as well, because it pretty much mirrors what happens in the book there. Okay. Uh, the thing is, though, is the way the reveal in the book is done as a plot twist, and I think if they had done that with the movie, it probably would have worked better, because during the course of the battle between Myra and Uncle Buck and the havoc that she wrecks upon this acting school... She's suddenly injured in a car crash, and it's, it's a pure accident. And when um, she's taken to the hospital, that's when they discover that Myra was actually Myron, and he was still in the process of sexual reassignment surgery, um, but he had to revert back to Myron because he was unable to obtain any of the hormones needed to continue the therapy. So um, Myra was forced to have the breast implants removed 
and is now forced to live life as Myron as a eunuch. But uh, yes, okay, but they would not have been able to play it for yuck yuck. No, it's a it's a much more that. serious ending, but it's an ending that makes much more sense than what we got in this movie. Correct. And I think it probably would have worked better as a surprise reveal, to be honest with you. But nope, that's not that. This was one of those moments where the director of the movie said, "I have ideas," and one of those ideas was the beginning surgery scene that we had with well, uh, with with the with the Harley Quinn painted faced nurse that kept winking at him the whole time. Was that the same? See, my problem is, I need to go back and watch. I'm going to say this out loud. I need to go back <laughs> and watch this again because I want to know how many people. From the opening sequence, okay, the, the, the opening sequence, which, by the way, is before, is it before or after we get the weird Fred Astaire, oh, it's uh, bef- Ginger Rogers dancing with myself, Billy Idol number? It's before did. it. I mean, yeah, that, that yeah. whole opening sequence was wow. <laughs> um, but I need to go back and watch it again because that wink, that, that nurse was winking at him a ton, right? Yes. Like that was the thing. Well, at the end... After the car wreck, you know, after uh, uh, Myron runs into Myra. Mm-hmm. She's there at the scene of the accident. She's at the scene of the accident, but is everybody else at the scene of the accident, too? That's a good question. I've never really paid attention. I only recognized her at the scene of the accident. And it was because of the winking, because yeah. they just really did it up. Something else that I found really interesting in, in doing just a little bit of research was... Um, so they had this, this smash cut concept of trying to postmodernize this movie by putting cut scenes from old Hollywood movies. Yeah, to, which was to, which was another one of the directors. I have an idea. Moments. Yeah, it was punctuation, right? It was Rex Reed's punctuation on whatever was happening is the way I saw it. Yeah, like that. That was his. That was that was his view in his weird sunken place. That, um, that the way he was seeing what was going on, because he was such a, an, an old film buff, that he's still living in there, equating everything to something he saw, and whether it be an all, you know, a, a, a Laurel and Hardy or a Shirley Temple or whatever it was. No rights to use any of that. By the no, way. that's well, like have, I like I mentioned in the first half, they sued to get Shirley Temple removed. That didn't work, but uh, other moments did succeed but yeah i mean the, i think the lauren hardy stuff at that point was in public domain so you know, the estates of lauren hardy couldn't do anything with that right but none of it none of it was they, they didn't go ask anybody for any of it they just did it yeah oh man it's yeah. good it's good though it was good yeah he, I, yeah he just he didn't care at that point and um <laughs> pretty much uh, threw it all in there. I, I it, mean, that's it, implicit that he didn't care. Yeah, I mean, we it, gathered that. He didn't care at film. all during this thing. Um, now, throughout the course of the film, there's, you know, Myra is wrecking havoc not only on the life of uh, Buck Loner, and, and by the way, I think that uh, that hat that he was wearing kept getting bigger throughout the course of the movie. I know, I actually believe that it, I don't think you're wrong, I think it actually got bigger. Like, I think that was a, a shtick that they were doing. Yeah, because he represented old school Hollywood, and him and his friends were uh, basically the old folks 
who were complaining about this new wave of counterculture uh, experimental movies, just dismissing it all as pornography uh, when, you know, they wanted the good old days of, you know, like Errol Flynn and blah, 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 blah. And Meyer Breckenridge, she wanted that too. Um, although she also wanted to ball boys, you know, basically. Um, well, I mean, it was, it was the, it was, there was a, there was a classic, what, okay, so I, what I saw in what you just said, right, was she wanted to go back to what she viewed as old Hollywood, but she wanted to put on, put it, you know, put it on blast that what you were seeing on the screen was not what was seen, but, you know, when the cameras were off. Yes. Where you had Rex, you know, where you had Errol Flynn and you had, um, you know, these guys that were not, uh, they were obviously not as straight and macho as, um, as one would have you believe when the cameras were off. And the people who seem okay like they're, to... they're and the people who seem like they're the good and, and nice actually turned out to be just as sleazy as the porn that you watch on the big screen. Case in point, Buck Loner, who's seen as this Saturday morning matinee uh, Western star where he's actually got um, hooker slash masseuse coming in every day and even having sexual fantasies about having sex with Myra, who's supposed to be his niece. Right. It, and so, lamenting yeah. not having sex with Myra. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm glad I didn't give her the Buck Loner special, as he put it. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes me go, why, John Houston? Why? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I seriously believe that that there's more to this movie. I, I got, I think it got very, very confused from the vision. There's too much going on, right? Yeah. Um, you know, Myra Breckenridge wants to bring down the patriarchy, and she's going to do that through soft the, the softening of men through. Oh, uh, let's just be. Let's just call a spade a spade rape. Oh um, yeah, she. Yeah, it's totally rape. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's also going to change Hollywood because the way that, that they're teaching acting is wrong. So she's going to, um, she's going to fix that. You know, she's going to, she's, 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 you know, there's all these things going on and I think it gets lost. There, there's no through line. So it gets lost in translation. I think. Yeah. Well, like the director, she has ideas, but they don't necessarily work. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, she wants to. I mean, she she's totally trying to alienate Marianne, who's the um, Farrah Fawcett character from Rusty, um, who is the unfortunate victim of her rape, and um, at the same time, sexually wants both. Um, and um, Basically, with Rusty, what she does is uh, he, he gets in trouble with the law, and so with the help of Mae West's character, she gets him out of trouble, but she's made guardian for Rusty, and basically Rusty has to report to her, so she sees this as her opportunity to do whatever the fuck she wants with him, and he can't say anything because... It's her word against his, and in the in the eyes of the law, with the ruling, they're automatically going to believe Myra over Rusty. 
Right. So she takes advantage of this, and in the guise of trying to measure his back for a back brace, instead uh, does the age-old act of pegging. Uh, where <laughs> the age-old act of pegging. <laughs> um, where she straps on a giant-ass dildo and fucks the living shit out of him, and... Yes, this happens on the screen. I mean, we don't see insertion, but we definitely see the Rightum cowboy moment. And, of course, her turning into a witch on a broomstick going straight into his ass. Um, <laughs> which I thought was like, okay, that's not subtle. Um, oh, this movie wasn't subtle. <laughs> Never let it be said that this movie was There's subtle. There's no subtlety in this movie at all. Like, okay... That scene aside, with the, with with the rape, which just makes me go, oh my god, when that happens, and then you got you know you got Judy Garland coming in to make her announcement before it happens um, about a cowboy making love to a cowgirl. Oh god, what was that? Yeah, <laughs> we don't talk about the fact that they make love, but I'm here to tell you. <laughs> go go take your pills, Judy. Go on. Jesus, um, Judy. But I mean, e- I mean, even before that happens, we have the scene where Myra and Myron are talking to each other, and I guess it's implied that masturbation is happening, but instead it comes off as Myra giving herself a blowjob to Myron, while Myron is sexually fantasizing about Marianne offering him dessert. Yeah. That's- <laughs> Which I'm like, that's your sexual fantasy. She's like, here's some donuts and some it's peanut butter and jelly. And, ooh, look, pretzels. And I'm like, what, what's going so on? Confused. I was real confused by that scene. Like, because I, what, so they were talking to each other, but I, I thought it had, well, whose character was it? It was... Um, was that Farrah Fawcett's character? Yeah, that was Far- that was Marianne in the sexual fantasy. Yeah. So was the sexual fantasy about food? Did, like, <laughs> does he have like a like a one scene uh, predilection for food? Like, <laughs> food food done fetish. With that? Like, okay. <laughs> like, like he basically he wants to have a nine and a half weeks moment in the refrigerator with himself. I guess I don't know. <laughs> Must have basing her himself. <laughs> yeah, it was just that. That I mean, there was a lot of what the fuckery in this movie. To me, that was the biggest what the fuckery of the film was not only uh, Myron going down on himself, but the sexual fantasy itself. Because it that came, was a weird one. Yeah. yeah, because it came off as like here's Fair Fawcett with this giant buffet of food. And she was delivering it the same way that an intermission at an old drive-in to go to the snack bar would present its wares. And it was just so bizarre. And there was, like, this weird scene afterwards where you see – I never want to see Rex Reed writhing in pleasure ever again, by the way. But there he is on his bed writhing in pleasure, and then they – Scroll and thank God for the beam the in the way. Beam, yeah, that beam or whatever was there. <laughs> and then they cut to his toes all curling, and you hear him moaning about eating a banana. And I'm like, oh, Freud is having a fucking field day with this right now. 
It's more than Freud. I mean, at least Freud was implicit, you know. This isn't this isn't implicit. This is like we're gonna beat you over the head with this revolving banana reference. We get it. We know. I oh mean, yeah, because that's not the first time the banana it. appears in this movie. Yeah. So my question for you is the idea of so so Myra has the sex change operation, the, the gender reassignment. She has the gender reassignment to get her inheritance. Yes. Okay. So knowing full well that she's going to have a better chance of getting it from Uncle Buck than what does he refer to uh, Myron as at the end? Um, I forget some like a just a just a string of, of derogatory queer hating um, words that just are put together. Yeah. So. So he becomes he becomes Myra and goes after his inheritance. Mm-hmm. Now, at what point does Myra concoct the plan to destroy the patriarchy? Was it before that or after that? Was she just in a position? Okay, now I'm all of a sudden in a position where I can I can affect this horrible horrible change on you know on uh, on butts. But, you know, did she decide that prior to or, you know, do you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, it's never made clear if that was her actual end game because, I mean, yeah, the, this whole entire time you're sitting there thinking that this was uh, Myron's way of getting the inheritance was to, you know, have the sex change operation and pose as the widow of Myron. But when... The, the when the lawyers start getting involved and the facts start building up about the truth behind this charade, all of a sudden, you know, Myra calls in this friend <laughs> slash dentist who's played by the man who played Mud from the Star Trek series. It's so, no, it was, a, it was a dental. What did they psychiatrist? De, a dental psychiatrist. Dental psychiatrist. Yes. He was a world-renowned dental psychiatrist who also doubled as Hunter S. Thompson. Yes. So here's 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 Mud from 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 Star Trek as this dental psychologist who apparently had some hand in Myron becoming Myra. That's never really explained. And when. Myra starts seeing that the facts are starting to present themselves and she can't end the charade anymore. Then that's when she reveals the truth that she's actually Myron. And apparently in presenting that it's actually Myron, it makes Buck Loner lose everything. And Myra gets everything. And I'm like, okay, where did that plot element suddenly come from? (laughs) Basically everything you just did was for nothing. You could have just, you know, appeared as Myron and say, hey, I own your shit. Get out. But no, instead decided to do this. So it seemed like everything at that point it was pointless at that point. Mm-hmm. Well, everything was pointless. This whole movie was, well, you're, what, what do you, what do you want from it? Like the whole thing is, um, uh, the whole thing is pointless. Yeah, especially um, uh, Letitia Van Ellen, the aging, voracious talent scout who's also a singer, 
um, who only will do contracts with men because she wants to fuck them. And (laughs) one of them being a very young Tom Selleck without his mustache. Um, Yeah, the, the, the Mae West character was really pointless in this whole entire story I and mean, I, I mean i don't know what type of an impact her character has in the novel but it really didn't seem like it was needed for this movie she was just basically a MacGuffin put in there to do away with rusty so right. that way myra can have marianne all to herself what was what did i call her <laughs> when i wrote you about May West, when I looked up at the screen and I saw, uh, uh, it was a uh, oh, hold on, a little can... old Gaga that lives in a shoe. Isn't that yeah, a I... little old Gaga that lives in a shoe. Yes. Yeah, she was all in with the with the with the binary colored hair and you know the 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 white um, business suit and you know the high collar and I'm just like whoa, whoa. <laughs> And at this point, she could walk without the use of a cane or somebody to hold her up, um, as compared to a few years later down the line in Sextet, where they had to sew a cane into her hoop dress to hide that she can lean on. And she's always being, you know, walked around with people in arms because, you know, at this point, she was falling apart in that movie. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, she, I mean, she really didn't bring anything to the story for me at yeah. all. And especially the musical numbers, you know, that just really didn't need to be there. Honestly, the musical numbers were getting in the way of um, Myra basically secretly interviewing Rusty and Marianne psychologically to figure out how to entrap these two people and get what she wants with them. Well, this I'm I'm telling you, this this is a horror movie. It is legitimately a horror movie that that that's being played for yucks. Mm-hmm. Man has gender reassignment surgery to trick his uncle into giving him money. Act one. Act two. Woman is a serial rapist and uh, uh, I, I don't even know pansogenist. Um, and goes into this school and just starts literally disassembling it. Mm-hmm. And by number three, you have the big villain reveal. She walks away with everything and leaves everybody, no matter how horrible they are, destitute. It is, it's a horror movie. It is a horror movie. She is a, she is a, she is the talented Mr. Ripley. <laughs> That she is, except except the difference between the talented Mr. Ripley and in this movie is the talented Mr. Ripley didn't wake up from a dream with missing his tits. Uh, which makes which is why I have to believe that at the end of this thing, like there he's dead. Like he's dead. Whether it was because what I saw was I, I almost look at it as either a projection, um, you know, a projecting all of manhood projecting, you know, the on onto women, you know. So, so he saw Myron. She saw Myron in the car that hit her, or it was suicide. Like she, she had to reveal who she was. She, she quote unquote got everything she wanted, um, 
it was it was the end of her game. She had destroyed the life of a man that she hated, um, and was being re- rebuked for that man by the woman that she loved. And I almost look at it as suicide, like c- classic Greek style. Like you are you you kill yourself with a car, <laughs> suicide. Yeah, but. But then the dream, like it's a horror movie, dude. That's what this is. This is more of a horror movie than the Kindred is. That's for sure. (laughs) And see, in the original book, with the with the plot that I with the plot that I read in the original book, and they really don't go into Letitia Ann Van Allen's uh, subplot really in the descriptions online. But in the novel ending, when Myra is forced to revert back to Myron and is a eunuch, apparently Marianne reveals that she is actually in love with Myron, despite the fact that he has no penis, and they settle down with each other. So, okay. and so it does have a happy ending. The book, the book does have a happy ending in its own twisted Gore Vidal way. That's not implied in this movie at all. There's no happy no. endings at all in this thing. Um, except for Mae West, because she got rusty in the end. And um, Well, I mean, she got rusty. Yeah, well, she got rusty. rusty. (laughs) So only her character had a nappy ending, but if this was all a dream, then it it was all for naught. So, yeah. I I love the fact that you said happy ending, but I heard nappy ending. (laughs) (laughs) That's good for me. I don't know about you, but that's good for me. So what else do you have to add to this? I I think people should watch it. It's definitely one of those movies you have to see to believe. Um, I, I know that there's more people who hate it than like it, uh, but it is one of those movies that you literally have to witness once because for 20th Century Fox to release a movie like this in 1970, it really took balls. And I, I mean, this movie would not be made today. At all, because today I think the movie would be seen as transphobic because of oh yeah Myron's because of Myra's character you know being the the old school stereotype for transgender people where they only have the sex change operation to entrap men um, and and, and, and especially you know with the rape scene it definitely comes off as that so plus Myra's not a good character. At all. I mean, and we can see that in the scenes, in the interactions between Myron and Myron, Myron is getting sick of her shit and is automatically regretting doing this decision uh, with his body. But, um, yeah, I, I just, I don't think that um, Hollywood release, would release a movie like this today, not without a lot of uh, protests. But, oh, no. Uh, but, yeah, you definitely... It's it's one of those films from mega Hollywood that makes you go, wow, I can't believe this was actually released. And there you have it. Yeah. All right. All right. So, huh. so we're going into a different direction with our next film. Um, we are actually, for the first time on this show, I mean, this, this upcoming episode is a, our fifth episode. And we are going to do our first officially listed video nasty. 
Really? All right. Now, for those who don't know what a video nasty is, um, a video nasty is a label that was given to films that were uh, uh, that were made by Hollywood or other studios across the United States, where when they were released in the UK, um, the way that they were originally presented either had to be extremely censored or banned because of perverted and extremely violent content. Um, and there is a total of 72 films on this list. Eventually, some of them have been removed from the list, but they're still considered video nasties. And we're actually going to look at one of them, and the movie is from 1981. And the reason why I chose this movie is because of who it stars. Um, okay. <laughs> Uh, the film that we're going to look at is 1981's Evil Speak. Evil Speak? Yes. All right. Uh, I, I have not heard of this movie. Okay. Um, Evil Speak stars Clint Howard. Ah, oh, God damn it. <laughs> and it's set... Son of a bitch. All right. It's, it's set at a military school. And it's about this military school student who is Clint Howard, who is picked on by everybody, not only his fellow students, but by his teachers, by the priest, by the football coach, you name it. Basically, he's a male Carrie White. Okay, okay. Um, the only difference between him and Carrie White is while Carrie White gets her revenge by telekinesis... Clint Howard gets his revenge by performing a black mass on an yes. Apple on an Apple computer. Yes. <laughs> so um, that's that's essentially, in a nutshell, the plot of Evil Speak. I'm so into this right now. I'm I'm I'm, I'm ready. I am. My and, body is ready. And the best part about this is is that if. Um, Having Clint Howard in this movie, and I mean, he's the patron saint of B movies. If having Clint Howard, if, if having Clint Howard in this movie was not enough, starring as the um, satanic priest in the movie is Richard Mall from Night Court. Yeah, I know, I know, I saw that immediately. saw saw Richard Mall. Listen, <laughs> I'll watch after. After it wasn't Star Trek, right? I love I love Clint Howard's giant baby Star Trek character <laughs> a lot, but it was Clint Howard in in Charlie's in the Charlie Sheen vehicle, the Wraith, that really and um, I think it was Mia Sarah boobs that was in that um, the the Wraith that really sold me on Clint Howard, <laughs> and um, I'll watch I'll watch anything. Uh, Clint Howard centric. He is the superior Howard brother, and uh, I'll fight anybody with a knife that says otherwise. <laughs> so yeah, if you've never seen this movie, I, I will let you know right now. It's it's a very slow burn movie, but no, oh, you wouldn't make me watch a very slow burn movie <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> it's a slow burn movie, but once the black mass starts kicking in, it goes balls crazy at that point. And, All right. and Clint Howard gets to be the most Clint Howardy he has ever been. Um, this side of the of the ice cream man, basically. 
Oh, the ice cream man. <laughs> um, so, yes, that'll that'll be our next movie is uh, Evil Speak, and uh, which, by the way, you can watch either on um, uh, YouTube for free or if you are a member of Amazon Prime. It is oh, one, shit. It is, one, right. it is one of the free movies on Amazon Prime oh, as well. Oh, yeah. I don't have to watch it with VHS line streaming on it. <laughs> Now, I don't know if the version on Amazon Prime is the uncensored uh, version or not, because they did have to trim some fat in order to avoid an, an X rating when this movie originally came out, because the the revenge scene is very graphic. It is very, very graphic. Um, and there's a re- it's the reason it's a video nasty, that and the fact it deals with uh, Satanism being put in a positive light. Um, <laughs> But, um, yeah, that'll be our next film. So, All right. I'm ready. Uh, I'm ready. You can follow us on Facebook at uh, Cult Cinematic Catacombs. Um, you can also still follow us on, on Twitter if you're still doing the Twitter these days um, under These Films Exist. And uh, we'll see you next time for The Magic That Is Evil Speak. Yeah, baby. <laughs> And here I am, I'm a girl on the scene I can give you what you want, but you gotta come home with me I've got some real good loving and I've got some in store When I get through throwing it on you, you gotta come back for more Girls and things will come by the dozen, that ain't nothing but good so loving Good looking thing, let me light your candle, cause baby I'm sure how to handle Yes I am, Speak louder than words and I'm a girl with a great experience I know you had you another, but I can love you better than any other Take my hand, come with me, I want to prove every word I say I want to love you, baby, and gonna have you every day Look at thing, let me light your candle, cause baby I'm sure how to handle. Yes I am.